Hello and welcome to the Zeiss podcast, A Coffee With. This is the podcast where we explore the innovation environment around the Zeiss Innovation Hub at KIT in southwestern Germany. We are interested in the latest developments in science and technology and how they relate to Zeiss, a high-tech company in the fields of life sciences, medical, industrial quality, and semiconductor manufacturing. In each episode, we will have a conversation with a guest from a different field and learn more about their work, their challenges, and their vision of the future. Whether you're a scientist, an engineer, a student, or just curious about the world of innovation, this podcast is for you. In this episode, I talk with Professor Uli Lemmer, head of the Light Technology Institute at the Karlsruhe Institute of Technology. Uli Lemmer is an expert for organic semiconductors, in particular printed organic semiconductors. These enable a wide range of applications, from novel photovoltaics to integration of photonic elements such as lasers and filters in wearables. Welcome, welcome Uli, welcome Uli Lemmer, head of the Light Technology Institute at the KIT. Um, Uli, first things first, uh, I already noticed you are a coffee drinker because we just <laughs> had a, a joint espresso. Uh, so what are your coffee habits? Yeah, you are right. I'm indeed probably a too heavy coffee drinker. So I'm regularly drinking coffee. Without uh, coffee, there probably would not be any research progress. Uh, typically, I'm a more or less a regular German coffee drinker in the sense that I have a little bit of milk in the coffee. Uh, but um, if available, I prefer a good cappuccino. <laughs> Do you have a good machine at the Institute? We have a decent machine at the Institute. We have an ongoing discussion about our coffee quality and we are trying to improve. Um, but uh, we are okay, I would say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and um, we actually now, we currently, we're switching to a flat rate system also for coffee drinking now. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Very, as you say, this is the fuel for research. Yeah. <laughs> switching to research. So before we go more into detail, um, I have an eight-year-old daughter. Her mm -hmm. name is Clara. Um, if you had to explain to you your field of research. All right, this is a difficult one. Um, it's, it's also a question whether what, what part of uh, my research you are expecting me to explain. Printed electronics is maybe a straightforward thing. Even you, Clara, you know what printing is and you have at home probably some printer, maybe even an inkjet printer or a laser printer. And we are printing electronics with a printer with things which are very similar to the inkjet printer that you might have at home and you could argue or you could say yeah one of our goals is uh, that we press a button and then the next computer comes out of your inkjet printer so this is one of the things and the other thing uh, that we are heavily working on is um, solar energy is uh, to convert directly Uh, solar mm -hmm. irradiation uh, into electrical energy. So we need to convert our energy directly from the sun. I think this is one of the major challenges uh, for you as being young. And mm -hmm. we need to get our society supplied with energy from renewables. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that already points out a little bit where we will go later on mm -hmm. in the discussion. Yeah. But before we go into that, maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself, about your, your uh, CV and how you also got into that field. Yeah, that's <laughs> okay. <laughs> I hope that story is not getting too long. Uh, but uh, in brief, uh, I 
studied uh, at uh, RWTH Aachen University of Technology and I actually started uh, to study electrical engineering, switched to physics, did my diploma thesis at the time, then again back in electrical engineering. So I was uh, kind of studying between electrical engineering uh, and uh, physics and I got into optoelectronics um, pretty much by this mindset of being, let's say, half electrical engineer, half a physicist. Um, and I figured optoelectronics exa is exactly the topic uh, that fits for my mm -hmm. interests. You really need to understand what's going on in the materials. You need to understand light-matter interaction that was fascinating me at the time and it's still fascinating me until very much uh, today. Uh, and on the other hand, um, I was always kind of interested in, in applications. I, I, I mean, I, I appreciate very much uh, the very fundamental physics, but I never considered I would work as an, let's say, elementary particle mm -hmm. physicist or so. So I was always, let's say, my, my father was a real mechanical engineer, <laughs> and he always uh, was teaching me, you need to do practical things, you need to contribute something for the society, you need to solve uh, real technical issues. And I even today, it's very much the same as it was, whatever, 40 years ago, 45 years ago. Uh, I'm somewhere in between and that's how I got into optics and photonics and optoelectronics and I like it as I liked it um, mm -hmm. 40 years ago. And then after you studied, how, how did you okay. end up at so, KIT? Yeah. Eventually? So then um, I, I did my diploma degree in Aachen, uh, that was back uh, 1990 I guess, uh, with work on uh, 3.5 semiconductors. So I became a semiconductor optoelectronics person somehow and I liked that topic very much. And uh, at that time, uh, there was actually a hype on optical computing and, and also there was a kind of an interest already on using organic materials in photonics and optoelectronics. Mm -hmm. And I got an offer for a PhD position at the University of Marburg, Philips University in Marburg, uh, actually to work on uh, optical nonlinearities in polymers. And uh, I then started. For the aim of optical computing, actually. For the aim of optical communication, I would say, mm -hmm. at the time. Uh, yeah, electro optic modulators, yeah, more or less, yeah. a topic that is uh, coming back <laughs> again. Yep. And Christian Kors here at KIT is doing a great job on pretty much uh, those ideas. And there is a lot of progress since then. Nevertheless, <laughs> when I started uh, half a year, uh, this was a BMBF project at the time uh, in Marburg. Uh, let's say six months after I started, that project was kind of terminated. And I, I needed uh, to reorient. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that... That was the starting point for me not to care that much about optical nonlinearities, but to get into the field of uh, optical light emitting devices. Mm -hmm. So if you really go back in history, there was um, this um, key publication that was made, I think, 1989 by the Cambridge group on organic semiconductors based on conjugated polymers. And this was the first polymer light emitting diode that was published. And we got into that uh, in Marburg. So there was a great interdisciplinary team that we had there between chemistry, macromolecular chemistry, physical chemistry, and physics. Mm -hmm. And then I graduated um, basically on the spectroscopy and on the properties of conjugated polymers in 1995. Uh, went to Santa Barbara, University of California at Santa Barbara, one of the 
nicest places on earth, <laughs> I would say, when it comes to a combination of nature and, and academia, mm. top-notch science and top-notch uh, <laughs> top nature <laughs> and top-notch uh, location. So university right next uh, to the cliff to the ocean. Uh, and I was working with Alan Eager. Uh, so that was until 96. And then I went to uh, Ludwig Maximilians University in Munich and was working with Jochen Feldmann there uh, for something like six years, running basically my own group, doing my habilitation. Uh, and then in 2002, I got this offer here to join Universität Karlsruhe or uh, KIT uh, in, as a professor in electrical engineering and information technology and also director of the Light Technology Institute. And I must say, I'm really happy <laughs> about what has happened with my career. And I, I really love that job here. I love KIT and, and uh, the environment that we have here. And I'm pretty much enjoying now this uh, position since whatever 21 years or so mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. 20, almost 22 years but the lti is actually much older than uh, yes. e not only your time <laughs> there but even than you personally so it's <laughs> more than 100 years old or how old is it lti is indeed uh, more than 100 years old we had our 100 year celebration in uh, 2022 mm -hmm. so one and a half year ago um, which w w was a great event Uh, but indeed, it's like that, um, that uh, this was, I guess, the second institute that uh, was um, established in electrical engineering at the time. Uh, and illumination lighting was the main topic, and we kept uh, this title of the institute uh, for the reason of history. We, we are still working on topics of lighting and illumination uh, until the very... Uh, very much until today, uh, but of course um, the scope has broadened. 100 or more than 100 years ago, it was really about the transition, I would say, from uh, just a pure tungsten lamp into gas discharge mm -hmm. lamps. And uh, it's actually, an, it's really an interesting story that uh, LTI has a long tradition of having two professors uh, where one uh, is mainly looking at the technical aspects of conversion of electricity mm -hmm. into light um, on the one hand. On the, on the other hand, um, about um, lighting engineering in the sense also how do we, um, do, we, do we get the best light for the humans? Uh, so these all these psychophysical aspects like <laughs> glare, <laughs> but uh, how are people productive in an office situation, uh, what kind of light do you need, uh, what is the level of uh, illumination uh, that people need, and, and there is a very long tradition uh, of really doing experiments for humans, with humans, mm -hmm. uh, where they then judged uh, what, so what, what they like most. Quality of light. Quali way, quality yeah. of light, uh, we, and we, we are doing uh, similar things uh, Uh, even today, especially for the car industry, uh, so where we try to optimize lighting situations, uh, how uh, when it comes to uh, high beam, low beam, switching automated systems, uh, when it comes uh, to instruments, uh, when it comes to ambient mm -hmm. interior mm -hmm. lighting and, and these aspects. So this is, it, it's not, I, I cared a couple of years about that when the second professorship um, was not filled at the time, uh, so I'm, I'm not the in there that much anymore, but it's really interesting because it's kind of closer 
uh, to us as humans because there are these yep. psychophysical aspects and that's also a fascinating topic and, and indeed 100 years ago uh, the LTI was um, fully industry financed uh, so uh -huh. thi this was already an endowed uh, chair mm -hmm. kind of if you want so this is the, the industry like Osram and I don't know probably Philips already at the time they teamed up to sponsor <laughs> a professorship at, mm -hmm. uh, at Karlsruhe University. Yep. Very interesting. So let's uh, focus a bit more on, on your research and also on, on today. So um, yeah, before I, uh, before I lay l words in your mouth, maybe you, you tell again a little bit. So you're, you're working on organic and printable semiconductors. How does that work? Um, and how are they different from standard semiconductors? Yeah, I mean, there, there are good examples. Meanwhile, most of them actually are unfortunately not printed. And, and maybe we can talk a little bit later mm -hmm. about that. Uh, but uh, I think a little bit more general, I would call it uh, organic semiconductors. And, and I think that's more appropriate for the general field. It's especially more appropriate when it comes to industrial applications because these organic semiconductors are a mass product and we all have uh, mobile phones or many of us, most of us probably, have meanwhile uh, mobile phones where you have an active matrix OLED display. Yep. So there are these organic semiconductors which made it into a mass product uh, that we are using every day. Uh, and I was always fascinated by that. Um, however, most of the work that I personally did was indeed on, this, um, uh, on these organic semiconductors, which are solution processed rather than vacuum processed. Mm -hmm. What we have from Samsung um, is, and, and from LG is uh, mainly evaporated. And uh, it's kind of an interesting story also if you look at the history of technologies, history of industry. I think that was not obvious when I started with that, um, when we started uh, with that in Europe, uh, when Osram was involved, Philips was involved, BASF, uh, Merck, uh, and, and various companies. Um, uh, and in the end, it turned out evaporation uh, yields uh, higher efficiencies and higher stabilities, longer lifetimes. And, and there are also probably uh, good processing reasons that uh, in the end organic evaporated uh, semiconductors mm. uh, were more successful for now, whether we'll see what the future will bring. Uh, nevertheless, um, the properties uh, in, in general um, for organic semiconductors are, or the, are that you get say high quantum efficiencies in emission that you have more or less similar properties as you have for three five semiconductors where you need uh, to do epitaxial growth on tiny wafers and you get that more or less for free on large areas and mm -hmm. this is one aspect so it's a cost issue there so it's a light emitting diode that can be manufactured on square meters mm -hmm. of areas uh, that that is something that was not there before uh, organic semiconductors uh, came um, and on the other hand there is one aspect that is still not fully in, uh, in the consumer electronics market now coming with uh, the Samsung uh, phones and that is the mechanical flexibility. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is not something that you can easily do with a silicon or a three, even especially with a 3.5 semiconductor wafer. You cannot bend it easily. Yep. And potentially all these technologies um, can be realized on flexible substrates. Okay, so this is, um, I, I probably should say, is more like was my main research because as I already mentioned, I was, mm, I was mentioning Samsung, I was mentioning uh, LG. Uh, so in the end... Um, 
uh, Europe and Germany was not super successful in bringing this technology. Let's, let's stick with that for a second, because what's actually the reason? Because in terms of research, we were probably on the leading edge. Yeah. Um, why uh, was Europe or Germany not successful in, in, in mass producing this or bringing this to the market? Okay, that's probably a, a difficult one. I, I think there are, I mean, when I take my own uh, experience in the 90s, Germany and Europe in general was much more betting on these solution processable mm -hmm. semiconductors like these conjugated polymers with the ideas of we print everything and then super cheap. Uh, and in Asia already, um, the, the industry as well as academia focused very much on evaporation. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that is uh, one reason. And then that caused some delay. Uh, and, and I mean, also the, the German industry switched then uh, at some point mm -hmm. to evaporation. Um, but uh, I would say that gave us a kind of a, a delay in there. So that's, I don't know, probably no, in, in hindsight, you can judge, yeah, that was obvious, but I don't think that this mm -hmm. was obvious at all. It was maybe just bad luck. And then there is an aspect um, that I think is... Uh, even more decisive uh, about uh, whether the technology um, makes it or not, and that is that um, the ecosystem for the display industry in in Asia, in Korea, in Taiwan, in Japan, was already shaped by the liquid crystal uh, display mm -hmm. industry with uh, the thin film transistor backplants, and there was nothing like that uh, in Europe, and and that gave them also a head start. Uh, for organic LEDs, you can just replace your current display technology with your existing customers with a new with the customers or customer relation uh, there, and also the technology to handle these uh, square yep. uh, square meter big uh, substrates, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So in that sense, uh, it was mm -hmm. probably in hindsight, I would say we were all too optimistic mm -hmm. that one could easily switch on a new uh, display industry in, in Germany or in Europe. Okay, so in that sense, yes, uh, we are uh, still working on some aspects um, um, of, let's say, fundamentals of uh, organic electronics. I personally uh, switched much more over the last years uh, into printing of photonic elements on the mm -hmm. one side. So we are printing micro lenses, uh, micro lens arrays. We are printing black mirrors. We are printing optical interference filters. This is a real cool topic that I currently like. Um, then um, we are working a lot, meanwhile, on uh, thermoelectric materials, which are printable. So with the idea that we mm -hmm. basically bring this idea of large area coating processes, printing processes into thermoelectrics, so the direct conversion of heat into electricity. There are many, many applications uh, that um, come to your mind if you think about that. And then we are working a lot on perovskite semiconductors, mm -hmm. uh, which are kind of the new <laughs> conjugated polymer for me. So they are solution processable and they have uh, even better semiconductor properties and they can be used for solar cells, they can be used for lasers. You can print lasers, you can literally inkjet print lasers, you can inkjet print uh, solar cells and you can, for example, print uh, X-ray detectors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. And thinking about printing, um, I know there's there's also a, a, actually a, a lab that tries to bring your research and other research into application together with industry, the, the innovation lab in uh. Heidelberg, is it, I think? Yeah, innovation lab is in Heidelberg. Um, 
what's what's that construct? And uh, uh, you're also you're you're the director of research there. Uh, I I'm officially the <laughs> the scientific managing director, but okay, this is yeah. something that happened uh, just uh, two or three months ago. Mm -hmm. So my my colleague um, Wolfgang Kowalski from uh, Technical University of Braunschweig did that for many years, and he kind of retired. And um, yeah, it's yeah, it was involved in Innovation Lab. Um, since 2008 and Innovation Lab actually was set up to do what we have discussed uh, three minutes ago, yep. uh, namely to, uh, to push the organic electronics industry in Germany. We had this uh, so-called Spitzencluster, leading edge cluster, which was quite big PMBF funding at the time. And that uh, was something that uh, we received as a un university together with uh, University of Heidelberg, Technical University of Darmstadt, uh, Technical University of Braunschweig. And then as companies involved were BASF, mm -hmm. Merck uh, in Darmstadt, um, SAP, uh, Heidelberg Printing Machines, Heidelberger Druckmaschinen AG, uh, and Freudenberg, and I don't know who else was, Pepperl and Fuchs, I think, uh, mm -hmm. were in there. So that was kind of a broad um, effort uh, to push printed electronics, yep. organic LEDs, mainly for lighting. This mm -hmm. was, uh, w w was also a big effort uh, to bring organic LEDs into lighting after we didn't make it in displays. <laughs> in, in, into displays. <laughs> Uh, so that was also not super successful, I would say. It was kind of successful in the sense that um, Merck is making hopefully good money with the materials they are selling uh, to Asia. We have um, quite a strong uh, activity in Dresden within, in the startup companies out of Kaleos Group. I really appreciate uh, what is happening there. So there's Novalet. Mm -hmm. They have been taken over by Samsung. Yep. Uh, as a company, so I think that there there are some success stories, um, but we the the, the stories with that uh, we were focusing there was uh, once again printing of these lighting elements, and that also didn't turn out to be really a, a product. Uh, the other things we were looking at uh, were solar cells. Mm -hmm printed solar cells and that's also kind of an interesting story on its own and also transistors okay and and that was um, quite big uh, bmbf project at the time until 2013 2015 and and then with this kind of decline of uh, organic led organic solar cells activities uh, the whole innovation lab uh, moved much more into sensing mm -hmm. we are actually currently um, spinning off a company uh, that is uh, commercializing uh, pressure sensors and temperature sensors um, from from Innovation Lab. And in, in essence, Innovation Lab is for me really a kind of unique uh, platform to bring together industry and academia. So it's an open platform system, so private-public partnership uh, system mm -hmm. where you have a shared infrastructure we have a couple of machines there. Uh, BSF has machines there, and we're using them together. We have a contract um, uh, to do research together. Some of the research is done in joint projects, and some of the activities are just using the clean room, which is available. Yep. It's a fantastic clean room. It's bigger than anything that uh, KIT has. So this is like, I don't know, 800 square meters uh, of nice uh, clean room infrastructure. So it's, in that sense, a very interesting environment. Hopefully the the KSOP, the Center for Optical Photonics, in at KIT will 
will be just as nice, I hope. Uh, indeed, yes. So we are looking forward uh, to open Karlsruhe Center of Four Optics and Photonics, probably end of 2025 or something, beginning mm -hmm. of 2026. So we had another meeting yesterday. We are buying equipment now. So this is moving forward and there is construction going yep. on. So in that sense, yes, KIT will also have a new research infrastructure for lithography, synfilm deposition, for manufacturing photonic and electronic devices. So I'm, I'm really very much looking forward to that opening ceremony. Mm -hmm. Coming back to now printing of electronics and photonic devices. Um, I imagine one thing that you have to control some or you have to manage somehow is that you have to print very precisely, right? You have to be somewhere at the order of wavelength of photonic wave of optical wavelength or not. Or what would you say are the, the main challenges there? What are the main obstacles to overcome? Yeah, there, there, this is, mm, I would say very much of the science that we are doing is really looking at how how good can you print, how precise can you print, uh, what are the properties of the ink that you need such that you can print precisely and reliably. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the, the answer how good and, and how precise you can print is completely different um, when it comes to the directions, <laughs> whether you mm -hmm. think we are, whether we are talking about the vertical resolution or the lateral resolution. Uh, if, I mean, we are now, meanwhile, doing a lot with inkjet printing for various reasons, not only for, uh, for spatial resolution, but also for because it, it gives you a very reliable, also large area deposition. Um, and then in that sense, I became a real, became a real fan of uh, inkjet printing, both for large area and spatially resolved. Classical resolution, spatially, uh, laterally, would be something like 30 micron. Mm -hmm. uh, so, which is not, I mean, by standards of uh, EUV uh, lithography, it's obviously <laughs> nothing, just too big. So, this one thing. On the other hand, um, and, and maybe I take the example uh, of the Breck mirrors that we are currently printing. So, we are now printing such that you have kind of nanometer precision in, in vertical direction. So, we are printing quarter wave stacks. We mm -hmm. are printing optical interference filters pretty much as we design them uh, on the computer. So you get whatever, 83 nanometers, 87 nanometers, uh, mm -hmm. 89 nanometers. Um, this is what uh, was the design program for a chirp mirror, let's say, uh, tells you and you print it and you get it. And mm -hmm. that is quite amazing, at least for me, <laughs> I, I, I figured that this is really amazing. In the end, it's not so super amazing because you are digitally controlling the number of drops. It's a drop-on-demand printing, mm -hmm. and, and that means you can control 10 picoliters or less volume. And, and then in, in 10 picoliters of ink, uh, you have the solvent, the solvent evaporates, so that means the material is even less. And then if you distribute it and, and if you do the calculation it basically it, it would so basically your layer thickness depends on your rate of deposition the layer you can, you can basically control the layer thickness by the number of drops and, mm -hmm. and if you do the calculation you end up with something okay it's a whatever one percent of an angstrom that you can nominally control uh, obviously this doesn't make sense uh, because there is some roughness but uh, if you do the printing right uh, 
the roughness is not uh, piling up, so that's all looking good. And we have very nice, you might have seen one of those very nice interference filters and brake mirrors uh, from the inkjet printer. Um, laterally, um, that's of course a real challenge. I mean, we were all, I guess, excited when we started um, with solution processable semiconductors that we could uh, at some point inkjet print the display. But the 30, <laughs> 30 microns uh, mm -hmm. are, are not good enough uh, anymore because the resolution of the displays uh, went up and up. Uh, and you have RGB, and then if you have a 4K display, you can mm -hmm. do the calculation that you that you're right that you have a hard time uh, to cope with that. Um, besides these additional efficiency and stability uh, issues, so in that sense, um, I'm not so sure whether inkjet printing should really focus when it comes to printed electronics on these very high resolution aspects. I see this more like a very versatile technology. Let's say for sensors, uh, for for you know large area surfaces, uh, mechanical flexibility, integration, additive manufacturing of photonic or electronic functionality in something that is already existing. Come with your inkjet printer, tuck tuck tuck, and mm -hmm. um, your photonic or electronic and functionality. The, the, the electronic connectivity is also printed then basically on. Yeah, it this so is. I'm, I mean, the real business currently, and I don't really have the numbers, but um, people who make money with uh, printed electronics are those who print metallic inks for simple sensor applications like mm -hmm. uh, um, passenger detection in a car. So there is, what's this company, IEEE in Luxembourg. They, they are doing a fantastic job in all kinds of sensors. Uh, and you can indeed nicely print. I mean, you can. this is one of the, the features of um, inkjet printing, but printing in general. I mean, you can print dielectrics, you can print semiconductors, you can print um, metals. Mm -hmm. So there is flexibility and you could argue, yes, let's think about a whatever sensor uh, device, um, sensor system even, uh, that could potentially come from maybe one inkjet printer or a kind of uh, several inkjet printers. You press a button, have you have do your design first and then press a button and you get your so sensor system It's great printed. for prototyping, it's great for small series. There's exactly. probably at some point a break even Absolutely. where it makes sense to go into mass yep. production and then switch to classical Absolutely. production. I, yeah, for complicated, uh, I mean, lithography, the, the, the beauty of conventional, I mean, yeah, I think it's mainly lithography, I, I would say. The beauty mm -hmm. of lithography is that you do so many things in parallel. And, <laughs> and printing, yep. at least inkjet mm -hmm. printing is yep. not parallel. But screen printing kind of uh, can be pr in parallel. However, don't uh, underestimate inkjet printing. I also learned my, uh, my, my, my lesson uh, on that. Uh, we are seriously thinking about doing inkjet printing for solar cells and solar modules. And if you do a calculation, you take a state-of-the-art inkjet printer and going coming back to these perovskite semiconductors, you can print a whole wafer, whole silicon wafer mm -hmm. in something like 200 milliseconds with a, an additional perovskite okay. layer. So this is chuk, 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 chuk. so mm -hmm. this is it's sequential, but you have these thousands of nozzles in mm -hmm. parallel with uh, mm -hmm. with whom you can print with. And you have a, a, a printing rate, um, jetting frequency of 
several kilohertz. And mm -hmm. if you then do the calculation, you get uh, millions and millions of drops per second. And that means you can also cover with, even with a sequential process, you can cover kind of large areas. But you're kind of right uh, at some point that if you really go, if, when it comes to electronics where you have all the structures, um, you might be better off at some point with a parallel technology like lithography. Or mm -hmm. yeah. And um, you also uh, spun off several companies um, from, from this work. I mean, one on the, uh, um, yeah, maybe you tell us. <laughs> yeah, uh, okay. So, I mean, this whole idea of startup companies, I don't know. I, I guess from the very beginning when I started uh, to study in Aachen, that was for me kind of obvious that this is one way how a transfer from universities into industry should be made. And, and if we go <laughs> going back to Aachen, I think we all were studying in Aachen and nobody of us expected uh, to get a job in Aachen because um, there was more or less no real industry. And, mm -hmm. and, and basically there was pretty much that spirit. If you want to have a job in Aachen, you need to create it yourself. You, you create uh, your own uh, startup company. And I did my master thesis in the institute from which uh, Extron was spun off. So the Epitaxi reactor uh, company, which is also quite an amazing success story, I would say. So in, in that sense, at least from the very beginning of my diploma thesis, I was exposed uh, to this idea of uh, startup companies. And there were, even uh, during my diploma thesis already in, in late 80s, um, 90s, uh, there, were, th there was a spirit there in Aachen. Okay, maybe not that much uh, in Marburg, and I was in Santa Barbara, that definitely was a place where people thought about startups. And, and I think it's really one way that um, Germany was not strong enough and where Germany missed many, many opportunities with all the fantastic research that we are doing at the universities. We didn't think that too much about um, uh, spinning off a company. And coming back to my PhD thesis, I think we were kind of leading uh, in the understanding and in this organic light emitting device field there in the, in the early 90s. Santa Barbara, there was a company that was established. Cambridge was a company that was established. These guys all made millions uh, and they were kind of successful, of course, taken over by somebody else later. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, in hindsight, I would say we could have easily done that also in a place um, like Marburg uh, at the time. And we simply missed it. And, and, and for me, I figured, okay, let's make sure that we don't miss these opportunities. And therefore, all my PhD students and all my master students, they continuously hear that story Think about uh, whether this is something where you I can just do about a startup. To ask, do you th I mean, startups are now, of course, also here in, in every everybody's mind. Does, has that changed enough and has it really changed? Or I would say it has yes. changed. It's, um, I think it, also, it matters uh, that there is an environment and that, um, you know, it's spread the word, the people talk to each other and they see, okay, that, uh, that looks exciting. And it's, it's really, you, you need to have also for this, a, I would say a psychological ecosystem that people feel comfortable. I will not directly join Zeiss <laughs> or join, yeah. join Bosch or Mercedes. Uh, and I will try to go my own way and, and try to start up uh, or launch a, a startup company. And indeed, uh, we had, I don't know, probably like seven, eight um, efforts out of uh, LTI over those years. So roughly, I don't know, every second year or so, mm -hmm. or every third year. 
I mean, one of those where I was directly involved, the uh, first one was uh, this company on organic semiconductor lasers, uh, which the company that was called Visolas at the time. We learned a lot. In the end, we were not uh, successful. We didn't make it, but it was a good experience. Then there was uh, Otego uh, as a thermoelectrics company already. So mm -hmm. actually for the thermoelectrics, I more or less did it the other way around. We first tried to commercialize it and now we are switching back to research and now uh, so we kind of meandered uh, between this more commercialization, commercialization ex uh, activities and the research and now we are also thinking about another startup uh, there. And then Phytonics, uh, which was uh, in here uh, for yep. a while in the Innovation yep. Hub. Which uh, outgrew the Innovation Hub, which is great. Yeah, <laughs> so that's, uh, that, that, that's an interesting and, and pretty brave uh, effort, I would say. So I hope uh, they grow. So and which uh, is, we, we should briefly mention it, which is about a, a, a uh, coating for uh, solar cells to uh, increase efficiency and reduce blare, basically. Exactly. So it's a, it's a special anti-reflection coating that came out of a PhD thesis uh, where we were replicating plants <laughs> so mm -hmm. there. So it's a bionically inspired anti-reflection coating. Um, and yeah, it's uh, they are progressing and... They have uh, orders uh, there, and, and I hope uh, that's uh, going to develop well. Okay, and we are recently um, got good news on our recent um, inkjet printed uh, brack mirrors and, and optical inf interference filters, and we are starting with a new exist project startup uh, effort in 1st of March. It's going to be called Prio Optics. Prio Optics. <laughs> Keep that in mind. Yes. <laughs> And we're actually already talking to the yeah. guys, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Having some first ideas. Yeah, for and we are projects. here. Yeah. We, we will have labs in here at uh, Zeiss mm -hmm. Innovation Hub, and we are very grateful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so you already talked about motivating your students to, to, to spin off. And I know that in general, education is very dear to your heart. And um, I mean, one of the, the core things that also always uh, kept Zeiss and LTI very close is KSOP. Uh, Karlsruhe School of Optics and Photonics. Um, maybe tell us a little bit about the history of KSOP and what it is. <laughs> yeah, Karlsruhe School of Optics and Photonics was launched with the uh, first excellence initiative. So we started uh, 2007 uh, with a master's program and, and we started with the idea that we are still pursuing, which is a good one, that we have a closely connected master's program and a PhD program. So the master's program is fully taught in English. It's uh, on optics and photonics, kind of between the classical disciplines. So it has contributions from physics, from electrical engineering and mm -hmm. information technology, but also from mechanical engineering and chemistry and biology. So it's uh, in that sense, yeah, a truly interdisciplinary, truly international program that we launched. And I'm really happy. It's really satisfying to see how that developed over the years. And we started a PhD program in close collaboration uh, also with size and with other industrial players from the optics industry because we, yeah, we are trying to bring, on the one hand, international talents to Germany on the one side and on the other hand, to train them in a PhD program, which is doing a little bit more than just offering lab space and research equipment. So we have management training. So we have um, thought already, this is now almost 20 years ago, 
that um, we set up a dedicated uh, training program, mm -hmm. education program also for the PhD student. Not that much courses, uh, so I'm, I'm not at all favoring the idea that they should, uh, that the PhD students should take courses and do ECTS uh, yep. credit points, uh, uh, collecting um, uh, efforts there, uh, but it's more about networking, it's more about management skills uh, that they get on the side because sooner or later this is something they need to care about uh, in industry or I also in academia. I would say with quite some success. I mean, yeah. Zeiss uh, hires a lot of case <laughs> of students uh, here at the hub. We especially have a lot of case of ex case of students actually in the team. Um, one thing that makes case of also special, I think, is really this high internationality. Uh, was that was that designed or did that just happen? It was, of course, designed just by the pure fact that uh, from the very beginning we excluded any German in the in the courses, so that was fully mm -hmm. international, fully English taught from the very beginning. So in, in, in that sense, we were expecting that th this would be truly international, and it was designed to be compatible with international bachelor programs. Um, bachelor programs, so we, we I would say, the typical student that comes into this master program comes with a bachelor either mm -hmm. in physics or, let's say, some optoelectronics, optical information science. Uh, there are many programs in China that focus on optics and photonics or with electrical engineering uh, background. And there was this idea, kind of, as I <laughs> explained in the very beginning, and I think industry needs these people who understand the basics uh, on the one hand, but you will also think about applications. And uh, it's working well. We are, s I mean, with ups and downs. One of the downs was in the last years because of these uh, tuition fees in Baden-Württemberg, if you allow me uh, to complain about that. Of course. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but uh, we but are... Many people might not know this, right? The tuition fees got cancelled for... Germans again, yeah. but they are still there for uh, international students. Yeah, so for the last five years, we had the situation that uh, Baden-Württemberg has been the only state in Germany who is uh, collecting tuition fees and, and quite a bit. Uh, we are talking about 3,000 euro uh, per year uh, from international students who come from out of Europe. And, mm -hmm. and that, of course, gives us a disadvantage in the competition with, let's say, Aachen, Munich, uh, Erlangen, Jena, and, and other places in, in Germany. And, and I, I think it's really a bad decision uh, by our state government, and I hope that this is going to be stopped uh, soon. There was always a rumor that would be stopped. I'm, I'm, I think it's still there. But in any case, we, we, we have so th that gives, gave us a decrease in the number of students. But we are, we are fighting back. So the idea is that we have uh, 40 students per year uh, in, in, in intake. And there is another aspect that came with this visibility, and I'm also really happy about that, uh, that we uh, could make it uh, into this uh, so-called Europhotonics program, mm -hmm. which is a fully European international program where uh, KSOB is... Um, closely interconnected with and, and it's uh, it started together with Marseille and Barcelona uh, and now it's also included um, Vilnius uh, and Tampere and we kind of have an optics photonics master program that is delocalized uh, 
all the way over Europe and there are also fantastic students who come mm -hmm. into that program. They kind of can move around. They start all in Marseille uh, and then some end up uh, in Karlsruhe, some go to Barcelona. Or so. so it's yep. truly international program and I, I, I like it. And it's also because you always learn from other universities. I mean, it's kind of like it's a continuous benchmarking. You learn mm -hmm. from Marseille, you learn from Florence, you learn from Vilnius, you learn from Tampere, and, and it also helps to keep you awake uh, what are other people doing in terms of education. So yeah. it's, it's cool. And I, so I, I really, I mean, we also have a lot of interaction with KSOP students, and what I really enjoy if you see, you know, somebody from the Lebanon uh, in, in, in full veil, to, uh, standing next to a U.S. Uh, student in short trousers, and they work <laughs> together, and they... You know, there's uh, really uh, this is, I think, what's also needed to to overcome these these uh, um, prejudices about you know if you, if you actually work with the people yep. and you actually get to know them, uh, then you think different about different cultures and so on. So that that's a great thing. Um, one thing I also notice, I mean, many of them go, of course, and after their studies back to to their home country. Um, how can we keep maybe m more of that great talent than also in Germany? I'm not so sure whether this, whether this is a true statement that they okay. that the majority goes uh, back in their home country. I mean, f I mean, we d we do pretty much 100% uh, tracking mm -hmm. of uh, what they do, and I think it's like that. That I don't know, 70, 80 percent uh, stay mm -hmm. either in Germany or in one of the neighboring countries. Um, so in that sense, so I my question I was I actually uh, so that's the answer. So uh, then maybe. What could you do to even even more uh, retain retain them in a way? Huh? Yeah, there's one aspect. What what what, uh, what I'm thinking more about is uh, how can we get more students and high quality students into the program. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not so much concerned about whether they uh, stay uh, in in Germany or in Europe uh, afterwards because once they are here, they realize okay, it's in the end. Sometimes we have bad weather, but in the end, it's a pretty cool country you have all you know it's it's a highly developed uh, uh, country where you have all the benefits uh, that germany is offering uh, with all the freedom that you mm. potentially might not have in the country you are coming from on a very high standard of living uh, and sometimes uh, you have to think about it also as a german yeah okay that's really true it's it's good to hear it from somebody else who comes from somewhere else that uh, Germany is offering a, a quality of living which is really high. And there are not that many countries in the world, I would personally say, where you have a higher quality of living. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, I'm not so much concerned um, about that. But we are, of course, in a fierce competition, let's say, with Australia. Um, we, we, and I don't know how the whole situation, let's say, between Asia and, and the US is developing. Uh, but definitely, uh, we had a hard time when we competed uh, for the best students from Asia mm -hmm. who also had offers to go into the USA that they potentially would prefer to go to let's say Stanford rather than Carlsruhe. Santa Barbara <laughs> Santa Barbara maybe or whatever uh -huh. so and so in that sense uh, this is where we uh, I guess where we should try to improve and get simply more more students after the bachelor's degree uh, to come here and once they have been here for two years program, three years program, or even for a PhD, I think there's a good chance that they stay. Okay. Looking a bit at the time, I think it's it's about time to wrap up. Actually, time flies. 
maybe I mean you know size very well. You know we are a, a, or we also in the semiconductor uh, industry. Now looking at printable electronics, organic semiconductors. Um, maybe two questions. The first is what do you see the, the the big breakthroughs in the next ten, maybe longer, twenty years. Um, and then also the second question: What what advice would you give a company like Zeiss if you see those breakthroughs? What should we watch out for? Oh, okay, this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, okay, I mean, there is this, we discussed about many aspects of uh, science and technology. I would say, um, I mean, the, there's definitely one breakthrough which is maybe from from a commercial point of view is is the most relevant, and and that is a question whether organic semiconductors or perovskite semiconductors that can be printed there are solution processed make it into photovoltaics mm -hmm. and then you know this is a multi 100 billion dollar industry and if you have a share of that uh, that is definitely something that would uh, strengthen uh, the whole field uh, other than that i think um, i mean organic leds are there um, what has not been fully Harvested, from my understanding, are the these these possibilities uh, that are given by printable and organic semiconductors, organic materials uh, for all kind of sensing applications, uh, where you can integrate on um, on curved surfaces, uh, where you can integrate uh, in onto flexible materials, mm -hmm. where you can integrate on variables, for example. But also when it comes to an, a, a, a company that is producing. Uh, optical instrumentation. One could think about many aspects uh, that potentially could be integrated by additive manufacturing. And um, I, I think my main point is, that yes, there is not only additive manufacturing of mechanical functionality, mm -hmm. there is also additive manufacturing, growing possibilities for additive manufacturing of photonic functionalities and electronic functionality. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, I'm not sure whether this is really visionary um, if you want to have more more visionary answers, <laughs> uh, let's think about optical neural networks uh, that are large area and um, that you can also print. I mean, there's, you can think about potentially all printed uh, waveguides uh, with uh, single photon emitters and you can visionary think about uh, printed optical computers, optical quantum computers. Wonderful. It's now we <laughs> now we are talking really <laughs> 30 years. <laughs> great. Well, thanks a lot. It was it was a great pleasure right. uh, talking to you. Thank you, Max. Thank you for listening to a coffee with bite size. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Uli Lemma on the past, present, and future of organic semiconductors. I'm personally most intrigued by the possibilities of custom-made, high-fidelity filters that may enable new spectroscopy applications. For more information, visit our website or follow us on social media. And don't forget to subscribe and review our podcast. That's it for today. See you next time on A Coffee with Bite Size. Have a great day and keep innovating.